The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Expert Minutes. I'm John Hambone McGuire, and today my guest is none other than Simon Jones. He is one of the UK's leading entertainment publicists for well over two decades, known for working with such amazing acts as One Direction, Little Mix, and the Pussycat Dolls. Now, he's also handled thousands of high-profile media stories and has been listed as one of the top 100 most celebrated LGBTQ plus people in the UK for the last three years running. And he's a founding board member of the UK's LGBTQ plus organization, Pride in Music. His company, Simon Jones PR, was named Media Organization of the Year at the Diversity and Media Awards. And today, Simon is going to bend our ear with some great concepts on public relations and life. So without further ado, Simon Jones. Hey, Simon, how's it going today? I'm good, thank you. The sun is shining outside. It's a glorious day, so I'm all good today, thanks. That's fantastic. You know, I think it's a little darker here in the United States at this hour of the morning. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm so excited to talk to you about the business that you've been in. I know that you have worked in the UK as a leading entertainment publicist for over 22 years. What did you want to be when you grew up? I mean, when you say 22 years like that, it sounds like a long time. So, yeah, I guess it has been a long time. What did I want to do when I grew up? Well, when I was a kid, when I was young, I always wanted to be like a pop star. So I think that's like a lot of kids do. I, you know, looked up to lots of music artists and big, big pop stars and very much wanted to emulate their lives and do what they were doing. So when I was super young, that's what I wanted. But as I got older and definitely as I was at uni and approaching you know turning 2021 I definitely knew that I wanted to work in the entertainment industry in some form but I didn't really know what I just knew that I was fascinated by the whole behind the scenes of it and the promo that the artists did and the campaigns they put together and I was always very fascinated by that so I knew that I wanted to do something in that arena but didn't know what. And at that point, I mean, you know, you're in your teenage years, your formative years. You're obviously a fan of popular music. Did you ever think that you would excel to the top of the industry, breaking some of the biggest names in music? Well, no, in a word. I guess the main thing to think about is that I didn't even know what PR was when I was a child. So when I was a kid, it was very different to how things are today with social media and people having access to so many different people. Like nowadays, if you're a fan of the band, it's quite easy to work out who their manager is, who their publicist is, who their stylist is, who the photographer was for that particular shoot. You know, all that information is out there and you can find it. But when I was a child, you know, I only got my information about pop stars from magazines and newspapers and, you know, there wasn't the internet and there was no access to any of those people. So I wouldn't have a clue who someone's publicist was or who their manager was 
I didn't even know what those things were. So I didn't even know that PR existed or what PR was. I still don't think my mum and dad even know what PR is now, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so sort of an elusive career. And so I never imagined doing it because I didn't even know it existed. So I guess that sort of answers your question in terms of, did I imagine that I would do it? No, because I didn't know what it was. I mean, I knew I wanted to work in the industry, but PR, no. Well, I mean, when I was younger as well, I grew up reading rock and roll rags. And I would always want to get to the bottom of who did what and who was working behind the scenes. But in fairness, public relations, artist management, people working in even the beauty industry side of entertainment, it was all a very shadowy, clandestine type organization. Like you really had to do homework to find out who was actually working for who. So with that, I ask you, how did you break into the business? Basically, what happened was when I was at university, again, going back to what I was saying before, is that I knew I really wanted to work in the industry and I was fascinated by it. And I knew a couple of people in the industry already. And I sort of reached out to them and said, I really want to get some work experience. What can you suggest? And someone that I knew said, oh, I know someone that runs a management and PR company and I could ask them if you want. And I was like, yeah, sure, go for it. And they said, yeah, come in for some work experience. And after two days, they offered me a job, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, because I literally just went in there and I was at university and I was just doing a week's work placement. And they were like, would you like to work here like properly? And I was like, wow, yeah, of course I would. And so I kind of worked there three days a week whilst I was still at uni and then started there full time the minute I left uni. So that's kind of how I got into it almost by accident, really, just by doing work experience. Even then, I still didn't really know what PR was. But then I learned a lot in that first job. So it was just literally by going and doing work experience that I fell into it and then never really left it. That's amazing. Now, since breaking into the industry, you have remained at the top of the PR business. What motivates you? I'm very passionate about talent. I'm very passionate about talented people. So that is a massive motivation of mine. I've never, maybe to a fault of mine, been motivated by money. So over the years, I've been offered hundreds of different clients that I haven't taken on because I didn't feel passionate about what they were doing or I didn't 100% believe in them or their product and so I didn't take them on so I guess what drives me the most is being passionate and believing in the person that I'm working in I think if I've got to go out there and promote them and to some extent fight for them because a lot of the time when you could find yourselves in a crisis management situation or a dramatic situation when they're on the front cover of newspapers you really do have to fight for people and you really do have to fight their corner and I think unless you're massively passionate about them and passionate about their careers, that's a hard fight to take on. So I think that being massively into what they do or being massively passionate about their work is what drives me. I love helping talented people get success. So it sounds to me that you become a champion for your clients. Absolutely. Do you find it more challenging that the clients are frequently controlling the media narrative more through their own social media? Well, social media is a very interesting one because there's obviously good and bad points to it. The good side is that artists can now speak directly to their audience in a way that they couldn't before. Because if there was a story about you in the press and you had something to say about it or you wanted to put your side across, you'd have to wait 24 hours 
until the next day's newspaper to put your side across or to say something. You know, there was a 24-hour lag in the story. We're obviously now where everything is massively 24-7 and something could be global in a matter of minutes. That's kind of a good thing that they can take things into their own hands and can speak directly to their fans and can clear things up if something is wrong. The bad side of it is that obviously not all artists are great at social media. <laughs> so yeah. I can't tell you the number of times I have said to people, do not tweet, do not respond to this, do not say anything, because sometimes there isn't that barrier between the artist, the media, and you know me in the middle of it kind of helping them steer the ship so to speak and sometimes people could just get angry and just speak out straight away and say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or make this whole situation 100% worse so if you're good at social media then brilliant but sometimes people need a bit of steering for sure and also what I would say is that social media alone doesn't a campaign make like you can't only speak to your fans on social media because you're preaching to the converted a lot of the time you definitely need a wider reach for a project you need other avenues other media outlets other social media accounts so you know you definitely still need the traditional media you can't just promote yourself via your own instagram and also i think it's really important to remember that social media kind of is media and is press now because if you do a magazine or a newspaper interview you're always filming additional content for socials as well so if you're doing a magazine shoot for a big magazine you want them to put it on their socials and you want them to promote it via their socials as well so socials is massively integrated into everything so it isn't really sort of a case of it being socials versus media it's all kind of one big melting pot now, do you think as an insider in the industry that this is something that is an evolving change? Whereas when social media first hit the scene, there are people pivoting towards social media as kind of like a new catch-all for public relations. Whereas now, because there are things like Twitch and people are adding different types of media within the social media there is so much more content and so many more ways to get every last drop out of your content. I mean, it's constantly evolving. You know, we could have this conversation in a year's time and it could be different. So it's so fast paced. And the conversations that I would have had in a record company meeting five years ago about how we would promote a certain single or an album are completely different now you'll still talk about the traditional media, of course, and you'll still talk about doing magazine shoots. But even they're different in the sense that, you know, now it will be all about what is the content you can produce alongside the shoot and how are they going to promote it on socials. And so that will be talked about in equally as important alongside what's the strategy for Instagram, what's the strategy for TikTok, what are we doing for Twitter, you know, what's the content we're doing for those big content sites like lad bible and buzzfeed and unilad and all those places so it's constantly evolving and i'm pretty certain that in five years time we'll be having conversations about a whole new stream of social media that would have come up because you know instagram isn't going to lead the market forever there's going to be something that will come along that's going to smash it apart i'm sure and then we'll be having a conversation about how we use that as a promotional tool right and it's interesting because you have handled through your career thousands of high-profile media stories. 
hundreds of front pages, both in the UK and internationally. With social media being what it is, what do you consider the front page? Well, that's actually a really interesting question <laughs> because traditionally, certainly in my arena, the front page would be the front page of a big tabloid newspaper. But as you say, with everything changing so much now, you know, I could consider in inverted commas a front page news story being the number one story on the mail online or the number one story on any of those tabloid gossip sites. And that reaches even far, far outweighs the print newspaper. So that goes back to sort of what I was saying before of how everything's changed so much that sometimes you don't have the time to deal with something in the way that you would before. So when you talk about front pages of the past, it's like, well, yeah, you have a whole day to try and come up with a strategy and help work out how to shape that front page and how it's going to eventually print by seven, eight o'clock at night. Now you could get a call about a story and it could be going up in 30 minutes and then it's going to be placed on the front page of the biggest website in the world. You know, everything's so much more fast paced, not about particularly that print front page anymore. It's just about stories going out there on a global reach within a matter of minutes. So that's so interesting because with the evolution of social media and the change it's seen in PR, you've also seen a change in how people absorb and consume music. And you've worked with some of the biggest names in the music industry, people like One Direction, the Pussycat Dolls, and several of the Spice Girls. And you've even worked with people in TV. So how do people break into the music industry nowadays? Because it's clearly got to be different than it was when you started in this industry. Oh, wow. It's so different. And to be honest, I think for a pop act, and basically because my career has basically been working on pop acts, that's what I can speak knowledgeably about, I think it's so much harder now. Because back in the day, certainly in the UK, if you were going to launch a pop act, then there were certain boxes that you needed to tick that would help you get success, which is you do all the teen magazines like the Smash Hits and the Top of the Pops mag. And then you would go on Saturday morning TV and promote on there. And there'd be big teen pop concerts that you could take part in and all this media that just does not exist anymore in the UK. Like we don't have teen pop magazines anymore. We don't have Saturday morning TV where you would promote your new record and you'd be introduced to that marketplace. So it's so much harder to reach people in that sense as a new act and to get your profile up. You know, it's all about trying to plug away on socials and trying to drive your social following up. And everything now is focused on streaming. And people like Spotify and Apple Music totally rule that arena. And if you're not getting support from Spotify, you basically aren't going to break as an artist. So whereas before, you could go and do all of that media and do all of that hype and then put a CD single out and then release it and watch it go into the top five and everyone's like oh wow a new act has been broken and they're here they are nowadays if you're not getting that support from streaming from spotify how is anyone going to hear your record because most people just go on to spotify and play a playlist or just pick out their own songs and make their own playlist so unless someone is actively searching out your song 
how is it going to be discovered unless it's presented to them via a playlist? So it's very, very difficult for an artist. They could do as much as they want on socials, have a brilliant socials campaign, put loads of great stuff and content out there. But if you're not getting that support on streaming, you're just not going to fly. And it's very, very difficult. We see this with so many artists now where you think they're so talented. They've got great campaigns. Why are they not breaking through? And it's because if you look at their streaming numbers, they're just not big enough and they're just not getting that support from the playlists. So I think it's a whole new marketplace and it's really, really difficult for artists now. Just to say, I don't know whether I think an artist like the Spice Girls would break through now, because I think the problem is, is that if they released a record now as a brand new girl band, if the streaming services didn't jump on it and didn't support it and didn't put it on playlists, it wouldn't break through into the charts because you need the streams to make a chart hit these days. So I don't think that would happen. You know, when we look at someone like One Direction and and why they broke through, well, they came from a massive TV talent platform in the UK, The X Factor. So they already had that profile. They already had millions of eyes on them. And so without that, how do you break? You know, that's a great question. I once heard a story where Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders, she discovered the Violet Femmes because they were busking outside of their concert. And to me, there's that old school idea of getting discovered and you'd have to actually go to people to get discovered. Whereas now people will just log onto their phones while they're sitting on the subway and they'll discover you that way. Of course, the thing about that is, is you've got to hope that they do discover you. Whereas in the past where there was all these outlets where eyes were already watching and were already looking at stuff, you could be sort of forced for someone to discover you, if you know what I mean, because it's like you're force fed it. It's like, oh, well, there they are. They're in my living room. They're there. But now it's a process of personal discovery, which is so much harder for an artist because you're relying on someone seeking you out. All right. So with that, what would be your expert advice for any listeners who are struggling to get their break in 2020 and beyond? I think that it is simply about plugging away and getting your music up on the streaming services, putting as much content out there as you can, because, you know, especially with streaming, for example, streams breed streams. So the more tracks you have, the more chance you've got of people discovering the songs. So it's about getting as much content out there as possible and on your socials to try and be as interesting and as creative as you can with the content that you put up because something interesting is going to get shared. And so it's about trying to, you know, create a moment or create something that you know is going to get retweeted on Twitter or is going to get reposted on Insta story. I think that is the best possible way to try and get some noise around you in the current climate that we're in. I don't think that most media would write about somebody who's completely unknown at the moment. Everyone's obsessed with household names. So with public relations and technology and the way we consume media constantly evolving, since you broke into the industry about 22 years ago, is the best piece of advice that you've been given still holding true today? And what was that piece of advice? It's a piece of advice that I always give lots of clients when they're stressed about something or when they're in the middle of a big event or drama that's playing out in the media. And I always say, and someone said this to me, and I can't even remember who it was, to be honest, but someone definitely said to me, 
in the middle of something like this was like, will you be worried about this in five years time? And I think it's a really sort of good leveler when you feel like the world is closing in and everyone's writing about something and it's all over social media. And it's just like, will you still be worried about this in five years time? Because if the answer is in five years time that you're not, then it's not gonna be a life-changing moment for you. So it's trying to get perspective. So I really felt that that has helped a lot of people try and sort of get their head above water. And also I'd say some good advice that I got when I first started in the industry is never lie. And I think it's a common misconception within the industry that they think PR people lie all the time. And obviously some PR people do lie. So, you know, like in any walk of life, there's always going to be people that are bad at what they do. But in terms of lying, I never lie to the media about anything. And I never knowingly tell a lie. You know, I might always not always tell everything about a story because some things are private and some things are not for public consumption. But I would never, like ultimately lie about something to the media and I think that what media sometimes need to understand is that sometimes you might have a client that might lie to you and so you might sometimes unknowingly pass on a lie when you're passing on their point of view on something because they've lied to you but you can't do anything about that if you've been lied to yourself but as a PR I would never knowingly make up a lie so I would never sit and strategize a lie or say, OK, we should say this to cover that up or we should lie about this happening because that will help. I think you can't lie about things. You can just only try and present the best side of something. Well, that's some fantastic advice. And that is extremely poignant and timeless. I feel like if you gave that advice to anyone in 2040, 2060, forever, that's something they can carry with them in their careers. Absolutely. So speaking of careers, do you have a career highlight or is the best yet to come? I mean, who knows? But like, I think there's been so many things that have happened over the time I've been working in the entertainment industry. So there's been so many highlights. But I guess if I could think about a time where I thought this is a wow moment, for example, I'd think about maybe One Direction's movie premiere in London you know, you got to think that at this point they were the biggest band globally on the planet. You know, they'd release a record and it would go to number one in 90 countries within like five minutes. And this was their movie premiere in London, which was actually the biggest premiere that the UK and London had ever seen in terms of its size. So much so that on the underground, there were posters that went up days before saying, if you're planning to travel in central London, please don't at this time because it's the One Direction premiere, which I've never ever seen about any event before in London. It was that big, it was that massive. And I remember being in the car with the boys on the way to do the red carpet, because obviously I was managing the carpet with them and walking them down and doing all the media and just thinking, I'm not sure it kind of gets any bigger than this certainly in the UK. And I guess that's kind of like a wow moment where you think, I don't think I'll ever do anything as big as this again, because it's unlikely that I'll ever manage a band that is this massive again, like that any sort of happens once in a lifetime. So I guess that was a real big moment. Well, I would say that when a pop band dictates the flow of traffic, you know you've made it. <laughs> when, when, when there's probably more police and security than there are people outside you know you've made it for sure absolutely well simon before we wrap up can you tell me a little bit about pride of music 
Well, Pride in Music is the UK's LGBTQ music organisation. And few of us that work in the industry had been having conversations, really quite confused why there wasn't a LGBTQ plus organisation in the UK for the music industry. So many other industries have these bodies. And it seems kind of bizarre that the UK music industry didn't have one as kind of a support network or somewhere that people could go. And so we decided to set it up. And so far it's been going great. We've had lots of support from the industry. And we've been focusing primarily at the moment on kind of helping new talent come to the forefront. We've had slots on big festivals in the UK like Mighty Hoopla, which is a big summer pop festival where we were allowed to put a new act on. Or we've been working with the Pride festivals and putting acts on around the country. And we're working digitally this year with Pride in London on a project that's promoting 10 new LGBTQ artists online. It's there as a support network for people, but it's also there to help promote upcoming talent and give them a voice, as we were talking earlier about how hard it is to find a voice these days. If we can help provide a voice and lean on bigger organisations to give them a moment, then that's what we're doing at the moment. So I guess it will develop over time and do other things depending on what the music industry needs and wants, but that's where it's at at the moment. Well, that's amazing, Simon. If people want to learn more about Pride in Music, what's the best place to check it out? The best place to find us would be on social, so you can look up Pride in Music on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and you can contact us via there. Fantastic. Simon, thank you so much. You are most welcome. It's been a good chat. Thanks again to Simon for coming on the show today. And everyone, make sure you head over to prideandmusic.org and check out what it's all about. Thanks for listening to another episode of Expert Minutes. I'm John Hambone McGuire. And remember, if your day job's not your dream job, keep hustling. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.